Hello and welcome to the Four Color Nerds Podcast, episode 22. I'm Matt and I'm joined by some other nerds, Ryan. Hello. And Carissa. Hey, yeah. Together we take on the week's comics. Each week we read a variety of comics and gather here to discuss them. This is a review show, so there will be spoilers. If you don't want to hear spoilers, take a break now, go read your week's books, then come back. Each week, one of us picks their favorite book of the week, and that's our pick of the week. This week, I am that nerd. This week, the pick of the week goes to Avengers Standoff, Assault on Pleasant Hill, Alpha Number 1, holy shit, long title. (laughs) That's the name of the book, man. Our companion song for Avengers Standoff, Assault on Pleasant Hill, Alpha... Did we really need to say this the whole way? It's Whiskey in the Jar, the Metallica version. Uh, I picked that because the song is basically about uh, kind of an Irish rover, pissed people off, and now he's kind of trying to save his life and uh, kind of doing a standoff. There's a particular line in there called stand and deliver that made me think of standoff. For everyone who was expecting to hear a full staff, once again, we are down. Down, but not out. It happens. Uh, Christina was not able to make it this week. All right. So let's get going with the books. Get to read this goddamn title one more time. (laughs) It might be one of the longer, other than a Star Wars book, I think it might be one of the longer titles we've seen. (laughs) I know, right? (laughs) Seriously, holy shit. Anyways, Avengers Standoff, Assault on Pleasant Hill, Alpha Number One. Published by Marvel Comics, written by Nick Spencer, and art by Jesus Sauls. Or Jesus. <laughs> or Jesus. Can we just say Jesus? Every time I read The Walking Dead, there's a character in there named Jesus, but I always read it as Jesus, because he kind of looks like Jesus. So Avengers Standoff, long title number one. So Avengers Standoff, long ass title number one. Because I think it's this, and then there's Omega. There will be, so there's Alpha, and then there's Omega, yeah. And then there's like 15 well, spin-off books in between. They're not technically spin-off books. They're attached books. They're standard books. It's like going through all the Avengers books, the S.H.I.E.L.D. books, that sort of thing. So this is the second book. Uh, the first one was kind of a previewy kind of thing. It was more the bad guy version, and then this is the good guy version. This is kind of the good guy version of people discovering Pleasant Hill, which is like fucking Stepford Hill. And we're going to go over kind of like in a limited way this particular event we're not going to review every single book because fuck i think alpha and omega will get uh full reviews and then each of the titles in between will get a star or a thing of things rating there's so much going on in there seriously so lucky you people you don't have to listen to us drone on about them but we still have to fucking read them which is good because so far i'm liking avengers standoff there's a child that is made up of bits and pieces of a broken well several different broken cosmic cubes called Kobik and they're basically using the child to create this place called Pleasant Hill so Avengers Standoff Assault on Pleasant Hill Alpha Number 1 uh, is basically this story of 
Bucky finding out, and at the same time Rick Jones finding out, and at the same time Captain America finding out. Basically, everything kind of coming together with the heroes learning that S.H.I.E.L.D.'s not actually said, okay, I I won't do anything with this Cosmic Cube, I'm not going to use it to try to control the world and make it the way I want it to. I'm just going to try to figure out yet again uh, a way to imprison these criminals without asking anybody. So information for it is all kind of given to... Captain America. (laughs) Sam Wilson. (laughs) Captain America with the wings. Yeah, Sam Wilson, Captain America, by Rick Jones, who the last time I remember seeing Rick Jones, he was being depowered by Doc Green. At the same time, kind of, we get to see Cap talking to Bucky, who is in a diner that they used to eat at back in the, the 40s, and the owner of which is long gone. Bucky's basically trying to get Cap to trust him and believe in him, and it's old crotchety Cap, and it shows. Get off my lawn, you damn winter soldier. Being kind of a mean old man. I'm so tired of this Cap. It's so wordy. He's weird. He's like super buff, but he's super old. And that to me is just... In this book. creates. Well, when they first had him being old in She-Hulk, he was just an old man. And that was awesome. That wasn't the first time you saw him, but usually been drawn as like a frail old man. And then they have him here where he's he's old, but he's still capsized. Mm. It's really odd. And then like old man Logan, he's at the very end of it. Sneak preview. But he's, like, frail. Like, the shirt is, like, hanging off of him in the, at the end of that. They basically uh, show their cards to the two Captain Americas. And the two Captain Americas are heading to figure out what the heck is going on in Pleasant Hill. Cap, that doesn't have a shield and is old, basically goes and meets up with uh, Maria Hill, who I like less and less every single time I see her. I hate her so much. She got worse. She didn't used to be like this. It's odd. It- she is so smirky and arrogant in this book. She's definitely doing some Nick Fury on a bad day stuff. Yeah, I think that they're definitely going for making her more of a villain in the new Marvel universe. The post-Secret Wars universe. My favorite part, though, was when, when um, he's coming out of the diner and she looks at old Cap and the eyes goes, Oh, he told you, or something like that. I was just like, just a look on her face when she's like, Oh, you know. So just like mean girl bitchy too. But I'm sure she feels, you know, completely fine about doing it and thinks she's doing the right thing. To be fair, the heroes have jailed the villains before and to varying degrees of success, usually about the degree of success that we have here, because they slowly start to basically wake up out of their Kobic created dream and realize that they are not who they have been programmed and created or recreated to be. So basically Cap storms in saying, hey, we got to destroy this thing. Finds out that uh, you bastard Maria Hill. It reminds me a lot of them using her as like a human shield. They're like this form you won't destroy so that our project can continue. You know, it's just you have a child that is this cosmic cube. So I can't just destroy it because I'm not a monster. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I don't know necessarily like whether or not I can believe the whole, oh, we didn't do this, it just formed this way, which sounds like a Gaga song. She was born this way, yeah. Yeah, what the hell? Yeah, pretty much. It's her arrogance that bugs me, that she has done this this horrible 
reprehensible thing and has no doubt or remorse about what she's done. That like I think if the cosmic cube is like ultimate power, that it has corrupted her. Yeah. Yeah. And it's it's annoying because Maria Hill's never been a great nice character or anything. But she's never been like this. Maybe she had Nick before to kind of temper her, but she's just not been this fucking crazy. They've set up this jail. Supervillains do what supervillains do, and they break out of fucking jail. They all have figured out a way to basically turn them back into supervillains, because instead of taking their suits away and then changing them, no, 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 they left them in their suits, especially, you know, the guys who have tech in their suits and all that sort of fun crap. Yeah, just leave the flamethrowers attached. Yeah, so when they zap back, they're just, bam, supervillains. And Krissa, not that you needed this lesson, but never trust a shark. Yeah, seriously. Especially in a town like that. I do really like that the little cute dog is one of the uh, one of the transformed villains. I, I liked that a lot. <laughs> the little cute dog, and apparently some small town in Connecticut has a fucking shark in a tank. That makes sense. But basically, shit hits the fan, and the book kind of ends with, oh crap, Maybe this was a bad idea. My personal feelings on this are, but I think Kovic is basically the beyonder, that white jumpsuit and white jumpsuit wearing hippie from the, the second Secret Wars that they did in the 80s. I think she might be that, that mysterious new character that the Civil War Part Two happens over. I think so, too, because I think you're going to have people's reactions to what S.H.I.E.L.D. has done. I'm, like, in between on some of these things. Like, I think it's super wordy that I do like. And the diner scene was one of them. The fact, you know, the handkerchief left for him. I like those little touches. And I really like, again, I really like Bucky. But I like Bucky in general as a character. It's like I want to like it. And there's parts I like. But I'm like, I'm, I don't want to hear Falcon talk. I really am just, like, not interested. There are, there are lots of things I, I liked about this book. It's really good at setting up an expectation of how the scene is going to play out and then having a turn for it. Like you see, there's the thing in the shield helicarrier where the people are breaking into like the communication center and it turns out they're trying to hack into the NFL. Uh, I also like the idea of like Captain America basically walking through his memories when he's in the diner. I thought that scene was really cool where they have like the sepia toned like background with, you know, him and Bucky hanging out and then, you know, current day Captain America in color walking through it. It's hard because, like, I'm like, ooh, that part's really cool. Like, you know, like the sepia thing that like you're talking about. I'm like, I really like that. But other parts, I'm like, oh, this can't get through fast enough. Then, then I'm like, ah, fucking shark. God damn it. And, you know, I know I'm very hot and cold on it. You know, it's just like, there's parts I think, oh, that's neat. And other parts, I'm just like, ugh. I think when she went to, quote unquote, fix his star, I think she's making Cap turn back to young. And it's not something that will happen, like, right away. But I think he's going to start to, like, de-age. Which is good, because the whole explanation of how he got old is fucking stupid. Yeah. I like the parts with um, with Kobik also in the daycare center. They do a good mix of her being both, like, a child and also very, like, wise and powerful. Your star is broken. So I think you're right that she... In my opinion is she's turning back on the, the super soldier thing to, you know, de-age him. I think you're probably right on that. Well, I think there, there's that and... Also, as this uh, being a precursor to Civil War, you'll notice Nitro was in this. He's the one who blows up. Yeah, he blew up the the school. Plus, I think that was in Connecticut, Stanford. So I think this one is setting up some stuff. I like um, there's that page at the end with all the villains standing there. And that is a really cool (laughs) poster of all the, the villains. But I think the team that he's got put together is the Thunderbolts. But like the villain versions of it. Might be interesting. Kovic will turn them all into good guys or something. 
Well, you know, in, in a few months, there is a Thunderbolt series coming out. So this might be maybe the lead up to that book being introduced. Mm, I gave it three Bucky Smoky Eyeliner. I give it four Broken Stars. I, I think it's a really good start to an interesting event. I don't think the event's too big. It's just kind of a little too big for us to review everything. But I'm interested to see what happens. I gave it three and a half Cosmic Cubes. Well, speaking of uh, of teams in the Marvel Universe, Carissa, you had a, a team. I have A-Force, number three, Marvel Comics, written by G. Willow Wilson and Kelly Thompson, art by Jorge Molina. I like all-girl team. Go, girls. I mostly really like A-Force because I like Singularity. I think she's adorable. I love her more and more every issue, and I just want to see more of Runaways, even though it's Nico. There, it's a continuation of them trying to fight off the basically the opposite of singularity. Ant- antimatter, I think they call it. Antimatter. Which doesn't make any sense at all. Yeah, it doesn't. Singularity um, asks Nico if he can basically un. Lojacker? <laughs> Lojack, that's the word. I, I, I didn't say lock, but Lojack, yes. Un Lojacker. So then she like absorbs them in like this weird, like stretchy bubble of her, and she blips out and she heads to the space. The space base. And there, are, and there's just really, there's a really cute interaction of all the other girls reacting to being inside her and thinking it's both gross and kind of angry, not knowing where they're going or what was happening. And that was kind of funny. And and then so when they get to the space and they're trying to buy time to figure out what to do because the the tech that Carol had like overloaded, Dazzler was ineffective. So they're just trying to work on what they can do. Yeah, and then you know he shows up as he's gonna do because he was basically retracing his steps. Even though she was the low jack was taken off, he was still able to reach his steps and find them. And they're fighting, and it looks like he gets decapitated, but then he starts reforming. But in that process, it's Dazzler, right? That gets hurt. I'm gonna say She Hulk. Okay. Uh, she doesn't get hurt. She gets killed. Well, she gets hurt first. Really, really hurt. It's pretty messed up. Yeah, I thought she was dying very close, but I didn't think she was exactly dead yet. Well, so they have her on the table while they're like operating on her or doing whatever, and then they pull the sheet over her head. So I think she's she's hurt, and then she dies while they're trying to. The good news is that she's Dazzler, and she's probably died at least three times. Because I know, because Nico says I can't bring them back. It doesn't come work or doesn't come doesn't work out right. I know there's that. Yeah, it's like a the monkey paw thing. I feel really bad when Dazzler died. Yeah, I mean, I like her gem makeup, but she is not the strongest character on, on this team. Well, that's what made me feel so bad, is I'd been like, why is Dazzler being here? She's so worthless, which is exactly what, like, the anti, anti-matter anti guy says to her before he kills her. And I was like, oh, it's so sad. She was still, you know, she was still trying, and then she got killed. And then uh, Carol just punches uh, his, like, head off. Yes. But, you know, Carol being that badass. woo um, And Medusa being bitchy. <laughs> Which, you know, all, all the good stuff's there. All the right things in the right places. But there were, I really like that panel, that, and I posted it, the one where it's Singularity, like, dealing with that death and, like, how she feels about it. And, like, how basically she's realized, it almost reminded me of the weird Harry Potter thing. One can't survive if the other one lives kind of thing. Where she's trying to realize that, for, I want to stay here and experience these things here with my friends now that we have the second chance, but I need to, if it means this thing being here and hurt and killing people, I don't want to be there and I'm willing to sacrifice. It's basically what it sounds like it's coming down to, that she's going like, to... I didn't read A-Force 1 or 2. 
He missed out. I understand that A-Force was a Secret Wars thing. Do they have any conscious understanding of the Secret Wars thing? Singularity, yeah, she's the only one that remembers her. She was seeking all of them out because she remembers them, but they don't remember her or being part of a team. Singularity remembers Secret Wars. Even though she died there. Yes. Singularity remembers Secret Wars. So they're all like, why are we together now? Mm-mm. Yes, and she she remembers them them being together and that they were her friends, so she's trying to bring them back together and be friends with them. And, you know, it's Singularity was, um, like, in, uh, if you remember, well, A-Force. She was, like, the, the stars that came down. Right. But Medusa is the one that they thought was um, betraying them in the original A-Force, but it turned out to be Loki. Girl Loki. Yeah, big surprise. A Loki betraying someone? Da-da-da! Yeah, <laughs> shocking. <laughs> yeah, so there's, like, she when Singularity uh, meets all these people, she's like, friend, it's so good to meet you, or to see you again. And they're like, who the hell are you? <laughs> you know? Because, yeah, the cause Secret Wars um, A-Force ended with basically her sacrificing herself to save them all. And so, but when she did that, it zapped her into this timeline or universe or whatever, however you want to see it. So that's how she remembers, but none of them do. I liked it. It was cute. I still love Singularity. I'm going to give it three and a half cute star bodies. Would you give it Matt? No. <laughs> three pointless dazzlers. I just, I, I'm not gelling on this book. It just, it doesn't seem to have a point. And, and Animator is a horrible fucking villain. The whole thing is sad because it's a really cool concept, but the whole thing just kind of seems like a textbook way to f- have a book that gets canceled in a few issues. Yeah, I don't know how long this book is is going to last because they took a lot of characters that are not popular enough to carry their own books and then put them together. I mean, I assume it had the the A Force from Secret Wars had to sell well enough that they wanted to continue it. Yeah. Um. I mean, I think the point of this book is kind of the age old Spock or maybe even like Blade Runner or like uh, what does it mean to be human question like that kind of character that we're seeing that through through singularity. So, and then as she's exploring like the nature of like friendship and humanity and life and death and and all of that. Plus, you know, punching and uh, laser beams and all that good stuff in there too. And it's got She-Hulk and I, I really like She-Hulk, so But they're not writing her correctly. So, well, I mean, it's written by G Willow Wilson who uh, who does Miss Marvel, which I love. So, I I like the writing in this. It's got a similar kind of feel to it. Yeah, it's like like I, I agree. I don't really like the bad guy, but I just really like the idea of an all-girl team, and I, like I said, I really like Singularity. I also like uh, Nico having to learn like different languages so she can use her spells more than once. I thought that was kind of a cool little touch. But I will give this um, three and a half uh, antimatters. So speaking of, uh, of badass uh, women in the Marvel Universe, uh, I had a book that I picked, which was uh, Black Widow number one by Marvel Comics, written by Mark Wade. Art by Chris Somney. So I am a big, and I've mentioned this many times before, I am a big fan of silent issues. This is basically the opening sequence to a James Bond movie where you have, you know, James Bond, like, doing parkour across places and, like, skiing down mountainsides and all of those kind of of things. This is one basically extended action sequence of Black Widow in a a S.H.I.E.L.D. helicarrier, and she's, she's stealing something. We don't know what, and then it's her 
fighting her way through all of the shield agents in this extended action sequence, which is gets progressively more and more uh, inventive and brutal. So it's it's largely silent. Like there's some dialogue at the beginning that you know sets it up, which is basically get her. She's an agent. She's an enemy of Shield now. Then she goes through fighting these people, and then at the end, there's like I hope that whatever you did was worth it. And then you know there's that panel at the end with her saying like me too. There's not that much dialogue, but the story is crisp and very clear. I think this is an excellent example of what a good near-silent issue can do. What I really enjoyed about it was the the clarity of what Black Widow is doing when she's fighting. Like, in each panel, she's not throwing, like, a generic punch. She's putting people in, like, Kimuras to move them out of the way. She's When she jumps out of the, the shield helicarrier without a backpack, or not a backpack, a parachute she knows they're gonna come after her so they're like they come out after her with one of those like flying cars and she basically does this like ballet thing where she kicks the uh like taps the ejector seat button with her toe to shoot the person out of the car and then um she's fighting the the people who actually have the the like jetpacks on them and there's this part that i i love where she you know, she's falling, there's nothing to catch her, so she fools the person with the jetpack to catch her, and then she basically takes the jetpack off of him and onto her, and then as as she's fighting him off, she, like, kisses the helmet um, and then kind of pushes him away. And then there's this, this, this is what I like about the detail of the art. Then there's this scene a couple pages later where they fight again, and there's there's a lipstick kiss on the the helmet. I, I love that, that detail. And then the the fight ends with them in basically this mud pit where they're just bashing each other's like skulls in. Like it's a really brutal fight. They do this, uh, this action sequence where they go from, from large, you know, one or two panels on a page to six or seven on a page, then to like 12 on a page. Like they keep condensing the number of panels to create that sense of, um, like the quickness of time of this fight happening. When the fight gets really brutal, like the guy pulls out a knife and is trying to fight her and she like cracks his skull with like a rock. It's it's really, I think, a very good example of very clear and crisp storytelling with minimal words, which I appreciate. What did you guys think? When I was reading it, I totally thought, like, yep, this Ryan's going to like this one. It's quiet. And but things so only my only complaint is that when it was, there was talking, it was like this henchman speak. Like, I'm going to get you, man. Like, some of them was like, I don't know. It seemed a little, like, repetitive. I mean, they're supposed to be you know, generic because they're henchmen. But I did like the part where she did, where she, I like the kiss part. I think that was way classy. We were not classy, but way, oh, I was about to call her Scarlett Johansson. Way, <laughs> that's totally wrong. Way Black Widow, uh, you know, the whole kind of, like, deadly, but, you know, seductive. She has that kind of thing going on. But I love the part where she's holding the rock when he's coming at her. She's, like, muddy and just had the look on her face just with that rock, and you just, like, no. Like, oh, that's not gonna go well for him. And then, like, and then when you met, and you already mentioned it, that last line, I was just like, that is such, that line works for that character so well. Because she always kind of does walk that line where she doesn't know if she's good or bad or in or like a merc basically for hire she doesn't you know if her intentions what she's doing is right i mean that seems like a theme for that character she's always kind of in that line so i i really like how it fit yeah i i like that that transition from like very clean and graceful when they're in the air like they talk about it being ballet but it just ends in a blood pit of mud and and not exactly death because she doesn't kill the guy but it's very bloody Mm -hmm. and visceral at the end 
yeah, where the the guy is charging her with with the knife, and he's uh, says, "I hope, uh, I hope it was worth it." And then she, you know, she cracks his skull with the rock, and then it's just mm-hmm. me too in this panel with like flames and mud and blood. It's really effective. What did you What did you think, Matt? I didn't really terribly care too much for it, and the but I liked it. So the reason I didn't care too much for it is because I I don't like cheap comics. And by cheap comics, I mean I like comics that tell a lot of story. And this seemed like, the way you described it, it seemed like the opening action sequence to a Bond movie. But, I mean, literally, it just seemed like like the stuff right before the music starts. There's no pleasing him. Right, and that irritates me because now I have to fucking wait another month, and I don't really have any faith that the pacing's going to be any longer. And I hate quick books. That's, that's exactly what I think this is. Like, if you remember... Do you remember when we read the James Bond book and we said that it felt wrong? Pacing. Everything about it was really good. Uh, Mark Wade, But I just, the fucking pacing irritates the hell out of me. I can't stand quick books because I'm like, uh, you, you only, well, I mean, it's going to change soon, but right now you only put these out over a month. I like quick reads. If you like James Bond, this is basically a 20-something page long opening sequence of James Bond. I understand that. It's just, I just, I don't like fast books. It's, and I don't like silent books. It'd be great when the trade paperback comes out. Yeah, so it's it's a short moment in time, but it's... I, I felt like it, it... I didn't feel that it was that fast, actually. I felt like it lingered over a very short amount of time where things are actually happening. So to me, it didn't seem like it was that that quick. Like, I found a lot of detail in the, in the fight scenes to really observe. Like, I appreciate uh, that when she's fighting, that she's actually fighting people. That when she's headbutting them like her the hard part of her skull makes contact with like their nose it doesn't hit like their forehead which is not how you headbutt some i appreciate that when she's trying to move past the agents of shield you know she throws one of them in like a kimura like arm lock and basically shoves him away kind of like a if you don't know what a kimura is it's like when the police like twist your arm behind you to move you around that's basically what that is and then what you know that there's there's detail in what she's doing and i i found that to be Enjoyable. Didn't seem that that quick to me. I'm not going to sit and do that because I'm there to read the story and have the pictures along with it. So the story is how I pace, right? So the pictures, the when I'm reading through the book, I, I need it to pace together so that the story and the art goes along well. And again, this is why I fucking hate silent books because then I'm like, no story. Because I I just digest the pictures really fast, right? I'm not going to sit there. And, like, languish on the pictures. I just don't get the necessary enjoyment out of that, and I have no idea what the fuck a Kimura is. I know, yep, she's doing proper fighting. If you like, if you appreciate silence uh, issues, you'll really like this. If you know what a Kimura is, you'll really appreciate this. I guess it really comes down to to personal taste here, whether you like or don't like silent issues. I do, so I gave this four and a half uh, bloody rocks. I'll give it three something that hopefully is worth it. Your turn. My turn? Oh. Man, you took bloody rocks. Damn you. I'll take uh, four lipstick kisses. Uh, helmet kisses. Something I think is worth it is Swamp Thing number three, written by Len Wein and art by Kelly Jones. Something I noticed, this is actually three of six. So apparently this Swamp Thing series is a mini-series. Yep, which does not make me terribly happy. But the rebirth thing will happen, and maybe he'll get his own series, but probably not. So in this, it's... Uh, Basically, Matt Cable. Sh- they could, that's part of my other problem with this is it's not pacing itself like a miniseries. It's pacing itself like a, a startup of a new Swamp Thing book. The thing starts out with um, basically this battle that uh, Swamp Thing has been having with this snake, and it's been kind of like an ongoing joke. 
Because he had the alligator, right? Well, he fought an alligator in a previous issue. The, like a boa constrictor? Different, different swamp animals. Oh, okay. I thought he was been having this with the snake the whole time. In the issue one, he was having a similar fight, but with an alligator. Good observation. So, he's been having fights, like little wrestling matches with swamp animals, because they can't really fucking hurt him. And he, you know, is probably bored. So he's been wrestling with the swamp animals, which I guess, if you wanted to read into it, could be perhaps uh, symbolical of uh, nature uh, fighting uh, humanity, or uh, nature, you know, the plants uh, versus uh, mammals, or animals. Probably some sort of, uh, you know, well, yeah, I definitely think it's a metaphor against him, like, both embracing, like, nature, but also struggling against it. The overview story of it is that Matt Cable, who, in older other worlds, the husband, and I think he still might have been the husband of Abby Arcane, also known as Abby Cable, mm-hmm. in, uh, in a previous Swamp Thing books. He's an old, 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 old Swamp Thing character. If he's an FBI agent in here, and basically he feels indebted to to the man that was Swamp Thing, who I know his name, and right now I cannot say it. Alex Holland. Alex Holland. Uh, thank you. So he feels indebted to Alec Holland for becoming the Swamp Thing, or at least that's the story he tells him. And he wants to help cure him, so he, he basically spent he, all of his savings getting to Ninda Parmbat, which is... Uh, which is a kind of like a Kunlun or a Xanadu type place in the DC universe. It's where dead man spiritual teachers come from. It's kind of like this mystical lost city in the you know hills of Tibet or China or whatever. But he goes there and he finds the I think it's the hand of Fatima, which basically is a a mystical artifact that allows you to basically it powers one kind of wish spell kind of thing. And he he brings it back with the story that he's wanted to try to to cure Alec of the Swamp Thing and, you know, get the the monster out of it. So they head up to uh, Zatanna, and she helps them go through the spell. You know, she spends her time uh, reading up on it to see, you know, what all she needs to do. Uh, And you actually have reference in there that she's actually doing other people's spell work and not just her reverse talk. Uh, And they also make note that it's not one of these like quick spells, which kind of makes you think that her wards backwards thing is just a kind of a quick, I need to throw some magic around and not necessarily her serious spell work. So she does the studying up. They go through this ritual. And at the very end of the book, we find out that what actually happened was that the, the swamp thing transferred from Alec Holland over to Matt Cable. And I think personally that Matt Cable did this all on purpose so that he could get the power of the Swamp Thing and to go do some nefarious crap. Well, he, well he's like, what did you think was going to happen? I mean, unless he thought, oh, I'll be self-sacrificing and take it from you, so, you know, because I feel so bad, but I, I, I think that might not be it. <laughs> oh, a- absolutely. That's the sense that I got, too. Oh, totally. There were a lot of parts I liked about this. Like, this really feels like an 80s like horror comic. Oh, yeah. The art is perfect for it, too. And I think that they they they've really been to me. This feels like it's like uh, H.P. Lovecraft, like uh, Cthulhu mythos, like very strongly. Like the towns feel that way. I don't know. I don't know if I agree with that, but okay. Well, they have the university that they were at before. They have. They talk about the old gods that that, uh, that she's using their language to cast the spells, like the forgotten ones, the patient ones, the ones beyond time. Like to me, that seems like Cthulhu. 
Um, I like the sequence where she's casting the spell. There's basically one panel with her like rotating throughout the the panel with like different. It almost looks like to me like stop motion like photography um, of her casting her spells, and then you have a really cool thing where like the finger is like counting down the wish. Yeah, I love like the finger thing. Mm-hmm. Like a monkey's paw or like a ticking like time bomb almost is what it felt like to me. Because they do a really fast cut of, of panels. Like, there are a lot of panels on the page to give you that sense of time. I kept thinking of it as a monkey's paw, too. And as far as, like, you know, my DC not fanage goes, uh, Zatanna has always been one of the characters I really like for the DC universe. And I did like, like you were mentioning, that they made her seem more in-depth and magic-wise than they normally do. Yeah, she's not just the, the chicken a Skimpy outfit who's saying words backwards. Yeah, with her fishnets. Though she was dressed really sexily in other things, just she wasn't in her, you know, fishnet. Kind of like wearing just a robe. Yeah, but I really liked, like, when I saw her, like, ooh! I'm like, I actually like that character, and I don't get to see her that often, because I tend to avoid DC books. So I was like, yes, Swamp Thing and her, I, I can get behind this. And I did really like that whole sequence of her chanting faster and faster, and the panels getting really short little squares all next to each other, and it's showing, like, the change in the paw, or the clawed hand or whatever. That was, to me, probably my favorite of it. But yeah, the whole thing, like, what did you think was gonna happen? I'm like, hmm. Well, it's like when I first, you know, heard saw the the thing i'm like oh a, a hand that does magic spells for you that was stolen from like a you know hidden temple what could possibly go wrong what could go wrong yeah and seriously the, the whole thing was like that you're seeing how it shows her researching she didn't happen to see that oh your wish will go to backfire you know yada 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 you know it kind of defeats this whole like oh she was researching this whole time but I think there's he's so desperate to be rid of the swamp thing that he's, you know... trait of mages in stories, especially stories like this. And I do have to agree that this is kind of Lovecraftian because it's it's all about, you know, like the darkness and just around the corner and despair and curse. Which I think this is setting up that he's going to have to reclaim the mantle of the swamp thing, you know? And Matt Cable set this whole thing up is that Matt Cable in the books is a bit of an asshole in the old books. I think he was abusive of Abby, if I remember right. Mm. And that's part of the reason why Abby went off with this huge green swamp thing. Because that was a better outlook than this crazy fucker. Like, he was taken over by demons. Ew. Yeah, and well, and Abby was crazy, but, you know, he still swamped him. Well, her family's crazy, to be fair. I give this... Uh, I'm going to go deep on this one. Uh, I give it four weird little potato pods off a of swamp thing. He used to have these little pod things, and you eat them, and then you trip. Yep. This is true. Give them to Abby. And then they had What'd you give it, Carissa? Just saying. I give it three and a half silky satana robes. I will give it four rats, which is stars backwards. Go Power Rangers. Uh, speaking of stars. Yes. I chose Mighty Morphin Power Rangers. Mighty Morphin Power Rangers. Go uh, Go Power Rangers. Yes. Number one. Technically... This was not Mighty Morphin Power Rangers number one. Because they had a number zero. I figured that out when there was a little annotation. Okay. Well, it's Boom Studios, written by Kyle Higgins, art by Hendry? Hendry? Hendry. Hendry. Ah, I like how it's spelled. Okay. Uh, Pasatea? Prezatea. Sorry, dude. I I got your name wrong. So I chose Mighty Morphin Power Rangers, whatever the other long name is, number one. 
because my son is really into Power Rangers, so I had to give this a try, <laughs> just to see. And he, of course, looked over my shoulder the whole time while I was reading it. So this is about the Green Ranger, who was uh, created by... Rita Repulsa? Yes. Yeah, I've never seen a fucking episode of Power Rangers in my life, <laughs> but... Was never. I was not in that demographic when it came about. The kids I babysat used to watch it. I know that. And then now, obviously, mine. Yeah, Rita Repulsa created the Green Ranger for he to be evil and fight the other Power Rangers. But I guess this takes place after a big fight where he turned and started helping them. And there's the scroll, skull, and what is the chubby one's name? Bulk. They're almost as creative as uh, like Harry Potter names. Bulk. Yeah. There we go. Um. Yeah. So they have like a fan YouTube channel or something or the equivalent thereof and they're talking about the Rangers. So basically it doesn't it's not like a Power Rangers episode really so much as it seems like the Buffy high school universe version where all the action that you normally would see in the show has already taken place and this is like the in-between times expanded that you kind of see in the show is kind of what it felt like but never wanted expanded yeah i have to agree with that yeah not really because because yeah it was kind of slow this reminds me kind of of how kevin smith says he would do an action movie and that you have like there's a fight scene in the background, and then they're standing around talking about the fight scene. <laughs> yes. That is exactly right. Like I said, I've never seen an episode of Power Rangers. I was uh, a little bit too old for it when it came out. Um, my, my younger brother really liked Power Rangers, and I'm sure if I had been the right age, I would have too, because all the things that I liked as a kid are equally as terrible. I just have nostalgia to make me think they were good. So I, I acknowledge that Power Rangers is no better or worse than things I liked as a kid. This one, I didn't hate this as much as I thought I would. Um, there were parts of it that I actually kind of, that I liked. I liked the part, some of the parts, I it was a little too much, but I liked the beginning with um, Bulk and Skull, where they're trying to produce their video and they keep having technical errors and having to redo their takes. Um, I just appreciate that on a personal level because I really identify with that, <laughs> doing this every week. <laughs> You're like, I like this because we podcast. So your mileage may vary on that, <laughs> but I enjoyed that. This was not my favorite. It was kind of slow. I'm glad I tried it, but yeah, it just wasn't really there for me. I, I think this book was, was perfectly fine, but I think I, I would give it two different ratings. I would give it the rating that I would give it for myself, and then if you were 10 or if you liked Power Rangers when you were a kid, I think it gets a much higher rating because I, I don't think this is targeted at me. But it's not, there's no flaws in the book. You know, the art's not bad, the writing's not terrible, the plot progresses in an understandable manner, you know? Like, there's nothing wrong. I don't want to say it's bad. A lot of comics that aren't necessarily my favorite, there are maybe parts where I'm like, oh yeah, that's cute, this is well done. What'd you, what'd you end up giving it, Chris? <laughs> it wasn't for me. I'll give it a two and a half leotards or whatever they're wearing. It was, I mean, it was, it's... I, I will say that my understanding of Mighty Morphin Power Rangers lore was greatly increased by reading this book. That I think it explained the universe very well without having long chunks of exposition. That it all flowed very naturally from the story. I give it, uh, for me, like three Zords, but if you like Power Rangers, it's probably like a four Megazord book. Whoa, look at you with the terminology. I'm telling you, I learned a lot about Power Rangers that I did not particularly care so, for. So, my brother loved the fucking Mighty Morphin Power Rangers. 
My stepson loved the Mighty Morphin Power Rangers, at least for a little bit. I do not like the Mighty Morphin Power Rangers. It was not what I thought it was going to be when it came out. The book, however, does a really good job of the Power Rangers. I know exactly when in the original Power Rangers team this happened at, and that that's, frankly scares me. I'm going to give it because it is really well done, but I don't, I don't honestly think kids would like it because it's the boring parts of the show and not the fighting. Uh, I'm, go, I'm going to give it uh, four color-coordinated teens. So I had a, a book of another uh, group of uh, another person in power armor uh, fighting monsters. Uh, I had Invincible Iron Man number one from Marvel Comics, uh, written by Brian Michael Bendis, art by Mark Diodoto. So I actually chose this one um, before I read it because I knew I knew Black Widow was going to be a silent issue, and I knew this was going to be a very talky issue. Yeah, well, because because of Bendis, and I knew that they were both going to be good, so I wanted to kind of show both ends of the spectrum for what you can do with with dialogue or the lack of dialogue. So this one is very it's very wordy. Like there's <laughs> the page is just filled filled with word balloons, but the dialogue is snappy. It's it's crisp. There's like a sparring that's going on between Mary Jane and Tony that I think is interesting. Like no one just declares things in this. They they're kind of they're having more natural conversations. Like, I think they all sound, they have a similar voice, which is one criticism I, I have sometimes, Bendis, when he writes. I don't think there's very much distinction between the way that Mary Jane sounds and the way that Tony Stark sounds. Like, I think they should sound more, dif- more different than they do. Um, but I still enjoy the the sparring and back and forth that's going on here with the, the dialogue. Um, there's also some really cool uh, art with uh, when you see, like, War Machine. Uh, when he's trapped. So War Machine has been sent to Japan to check out some, like, tech ninjas that have been attacking Tony, and he's been captured by them. Last issue, he thought uh, he was confronting the the tech ninja and that the, he was with some, like, barflies, basically, but they ended up being the ninjas, um, that they were, you know, kind of using that hiding in plain sight and being underestimated uh, skill that ninjas develop. So you have a scene where him where he's being like interrogated and they're like ripping his armor off of him and forming it into uh, another suit of armor. That's like a recreation of like the war machine, but a lot bigger. Um, and I thought that that drawing is just looks really cool. Mm, I actually really didn't like her Mary Jane in it that much. I also wish they kind of chose someone else. That it matches like that. That part is, is pretty fucking awesome like i'm not a big fan of war machine but that that looks really good i agree i I like yeah i like the book i don't like mary jane in this i didn't like that part i love tony i also liked um i just like the interplay between mary jane and uh, tony that you know she's tied into the marvel universe she has like she has peter parker's private number she knows him so i i enjoy that this her character getting more of a little expanded role in this. Overall, I really, really enjoyed this issue. What'd you guys think? Yeah, you know, I'm not saying it has to be Pepper. I don't get Mary Jane in this. She's a fucking model. She's always been a two... And I, maybe they're trying to flesh her out or something like that, but there's other characters. Go, go fucking make another character. She's a two-dimensional character. She wasn't good in Spider-Man. Maybe it's because they didn't watch the Dan Slott horribly written... Or watch, read the Dan Slott horribly written Spider-Man books. She just doesn't seem that she could keep up with someone like Tony. It, just, it seems very forced, I think, is what it is. They've really expanded her out into being, like, a, a mogul who runs, like, clubs throughout the city and is, like, a media, like, like taste. I'm basing it off of, of, of previous Mary Jane books. 
or Spider-Man books, like say before the Brave New Day or whatever, and then the the f- few interactions I've seen with her when no, she's the get 'em tiger boy girl, and that's about it. <laughs> that's what I'm saying with like their dialogue sounding. So- yeah, I'm just like make another character back. There's there's a hundred things you could have done. There's this was just I don't like her in this story. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, he's. To me, she still seems like Mary Jane, but she seems like a Mary Jane who's had about 10 years, 10 years older than the Mary Jane that you're probably more familiar with. She has more experience then. And maybe because I've been reading the Dan Slott Spider-Man stuff, that I'm, I'm more familiar with her arc that's happened, but doesn't seem as jarring to me. Like, I still think she sounds a lot like Tony uh, in this, but I don't think she's... Yeah. Well, I mean, there's... We're going to read another Bendis book spoiler, <laughs> that I think does a much better job of the dialogue, of sounding different. This one sounds... I think he just really likes writing Tony. Well, I, I think as much as... Robert Downey Jr.? Robert Downey Jr. is Tony Stark. I think Bendis writes Tony Stark that that is his, also his avatar in the way that the, the quickness and wit at which he speaks, you know? So it's probably hard to write that character and then write a character who can keep up with him but doesn't sound like... This... Uh, I think if you if you like Bendis, you're gonna you're gonna like this. Um, if you like that verbal gymnastics that takes place, you'll like this. Like if you like Tarantino, or I, think, well, I love that dialogue, kind of dialogue. I like love this. that, and I just I it just didn't feel right coming out of that character's mouth. It, like it doesn't it doesn't. It didn't seem, like I said, it didn't seem right. And I love Tarantino. That's like the thing I love about Tarantino is that wit, that back and forth, and that banter. And which I really like from Tony. That's one of the reasons why I've always liked that character. And even more so with Robert Downey Jr. Because he can pull that off where other actors might not have been able to pull that off. Because that is like Tony's fundamental thing. It just, And that's what I look forward to when I read an, in, um, an Iron Man book. But don't want to see her in it. I'll agree, especially considering he spends, I can't remember if it was this one, this is the problem with reading seven books at one time. I don't know if it was this one or the one before that. He's like, I already thought through all of the, what you're about to say. Like, I, I think you could have taken a snippet of dialogue that either Mary Jane or Tony says and show someone that and ask them which character said this and you could not tell which one said it. Yeah. That's this one. It just... That was actually the sequence to yeah. me where it was most confusing because I'm like, is that Mary Jane talking or is that him? Like, I had to actually go back and look at the word balloons to see who they were going to. So I, I liked it. Um, I gave it uh, three and a half War Machines. I appreciated the art. I thought the dialogue was good but lacked distinction. Um, so that's how I ended up at my three and a half. Uh, I give it a three, um, three suits, I guess. I like the artwork, except for I don't like, I, again, Mary Jane, I think, looks a little odd. Usually I always picture her a little bit more. She like, looked like Pepper. That's the other problem, is that they replaced a redhead with a redhead. Which, is, he just did that to have another Pepper. I almost actually picked this one as my pick of the week. I'm going to give this one four suits of armor. Um, the only thing I don't like about it is I separating dialogue um i don't like the guy doing tony the the artist mike diodato he's a good artist but i don't like him doing this book because the way he draws tony makes me think of the guy who plays Bellfire on once upon a time and not robert downey jr which mm-hmm. the guy who started the book off david marquez he drew him like i like tony to be drawn 
which roughly Robert Downey Jr. ish, but this guy draws him. I can see that. Not. It's like a cross between the guy, and the guy's name is Michael Raymond James. Uh, like a cross between him and Christian Bale. Yeah, yeah, he does look a little off in this one, but like I really like how he draws yeah, he like good War there. Machine. It's just, guys. it's like the, little just his, Tony. His He's a good artist. Are really good. I just don't like how he draws Tony's head. No, I agree. The fa- Tony's face just looks a little like older or off. I don't know. It just it wasn't as great. But I think what I was like drawn to, like I didn't like really any of the people's faces. <laughs> like I said, it's really the mechanics. Something I did like was Old Man Logan number three, also by Marvel Comics. Fuck, we did a lot of Marvel this week. It is uh, Old Man Logan number three uh, by Marvel Comics, written by Jeff Lemire and art by Andrea Sorrentino. This is Logan from a future. <laughs> Come back to the past, thinking that he's in his past, and deciding that he is going to stop his future from happening by basically tracking down the four people he feels are responsible, or at least, well, not the four people he feels are responsible, the one guy he had a grudge with and took out first, and then the three people he feels are responsible for making his life a living hell in the future. So he went after Banner, but found out that it was not Banner, and got his ass handed to him. He got a totally awesome ass kicking. His healing factor is a lot, a lot worse now. So there's a panel there that I thought that Ryan really liked because it had that kind of. Uh, oh, and they're running sideways. Yep. Not quite Spider Woman, but all the jumping, you know, across the whole cityscape when him and Hawkeye are running. I love movement through panels. I love that. You should read old Spider Man. Yep. Yeah, I'm like, for some reason, that me like Ryan's gonna like that panel. Oh, I love this Spider Women thing where they're doing the jumping around. I'm like, that's a Spider Man trope. That is straight up Steve Ditko Spider Man. I love it. I love I love motion being conveyed in still art. So he's basically explaining, hey, you know, I, I've got to take out these people. I need help. Well, he doesn't necessarily directly say I need help, but she's like, I will help you because she's bored. <laughs> because I don't want to say real Hawkeye because she's just as real as he is. But Clinton Bart Hawkeye is off doing some other stuff. And she's like, I'm bored anyways. Let's go track down Mysterio. I love that Pizza Dog brings him his jacket. I love that little touch. I missed that. Yeah, when they're getting ready to leave, Pizza Dog brings him his jacket. That's awesome. Well, I was trying to figure out, so in that flashback when they're in the wastelands, is that like an old like sentinel chilling up there all broken and rusted I in the water? But that would make sense, considering there's at least one X-Men down in the water. Yes. Yeah. Daddy, Daddy is a monster! That was so creepy. Yes, it was. Yeah, that that was pretty fucked up. Yeah, yep. There's nothing not fucked up about Old Man Logan. Oh, yeah. Like, seriously, the whole concept, plot, actual, like, how they did it, pretty fucked up. But this issue is pretty good. Uh, they're basically going after Mysterio, and it, keep, it continues to show how completely fucking unbalanced Logan is. He just wants to kill things. There's a, the man just wants to see the world schnicked. Yes, he's on a, a bloody path of vengeance and is not going to be deterred by facts and reason. No. <laughs> Seriously. She's like, whoa, I didn't think you wanted to come kill the guy. <laughs> like, and Well, and then she explains to him that like all the things you said have happened like haven't happened in this reality, so are you sure? Frankly, it's impossible. Are you sure you're from our future? Yeah. You you don't really need to kill these guys, because that's not us. 
Though I do like how the panels kind of take on like almost like that Kill Bill look where they go all monochromatic. Like there's the one where it gets like just like, it's like all red tones and then there's the one where it's all purple tones. Like, you know. It's the Berserker Rage and the, the, the Old Man Logan series seems to be done kind of. And even the future, or the the original one. It's, it, that it's Berserker kind Rage. of spaghetti western. He's red. Yeah. Fucking depressing. Yeah. And sad. And vengeance. That's what it, yes. I think that's a very good tone for that. I was really sad when she, uh, when he, uh, cut her bow in half. Like, I don't know if you read New Oh, it. that was her favorite bow. Yeah, well, I don't know Is if you read. Is that Hawkeye's bow? That's Hawkeye's bow that he gave her in oh. New Avengers. When, Fucking you know, she off. was, like, trying to be, become the Hawkeye, and then when he finally accepted her, he gave her his, that bow. So, and that's, like, his original bow, if I remember. Yep. Yeah. That's not even cool. But I do like that even when her bow is taken from him, she still fights Wolverine to basically a standstill. Yeah. Well, I mean, she's kind of lucky he's old. Yeah. He is old, and his healing factor doesn't work very well. Yeah. So that, you know, she has that going for her. And he hasn't fought in years. Yep. I was going to say, I appreciate that there's kind of two tones in here kind of reflecting the two different characters that you have that... I like your spaghetti western description for like Logan, and then you have mm-hmm. more of kind of a like light and breezy, almost like comedic yeah. tone with with Hawkeye. With uh, she's done proper as she's supposed to be as a young yep. Avenger. Yep. So I, I appreciated the juxtaposition of those two. Yeah, really, really well done book. Uh, I'll yeah. give it four arrows through the chest. Which I mean, if it kind of makes sense because Jeff Lemire is uh, also I writing Hawkeye, four so caps looking like Tommy Lee Jones writing, in the you know, back. bringing his two books together, you know. <laughs> oh yeah, <laughs> yeah, he kind of does. Yeah, that's the other thing. The end yeah. of it, uh, he's about to open up a can of whoop ass, and then uh, a trash can lid takes him down. <laughs> I like that because Cap doesn't have a shield anymore. So. Yeah, it doesn't apparently need it unless he's in a I cartoon. Did, that's one and then he needs that specific shield or he can't do anything. The, the <laughs> I gave this one four and a half is, Has the artwork inside. Yeah, I really like well how done. that looked. I like that it, to me, when they do that, each of the letters reminds me of his claw like pushing through the panel is what it reminds me of. Oh, yeah. Spider-Man. So, Spider-Man number two, uh, also more more Marvel comics. This is also written by Brian Michael Bendis, art by Sarah Pacelli. So, this is the continuation of Miles Morales swinging by the big fight between the Avengers and fighting him, which we mentioned last time is kind of like a, a Spider-Man trope. That's what I, I liked about this book, is there are so many notes that it hits for Spider-Man that feel so right in this book. I like the way that the action moves. I really like that we get kind of a new a new visual that I really like, which is Spider-Man holding the shield, which I don't know if I've ever seen before. I'm sure he's picked it up at one time or another, but I, I like that. That visual I just think is really cool. Um, I think it also... I like the, the flashback of the art where Miles is remembering what happened with him in Spider-Man originally, that the art is you know very that different makes me in think his of? memory than reality. You, which, have you seen Ultimate Spider-Man the cartoon? What's that? Okay, so no. Ultimate Spider-Man the cartoon is... is have you seen Avengers Earth's Mightiest Heroes? Yes. Have you seen any of the fucking Marvel cartoons? He doesn't Jesus have, Christ. Uh, kids, so. uh, probably not. Because they're not as good as the DC cartoons? Yes, they are. You shut your mouth. Holy fuck, they are. They're not as dark, but they're fantastic, especially the the Spider-Man cartoon. It is I only like awesome. the Batman cartoon because Batman Beyond, but... Batman Brave and the Bold is an awesome cartoon. <laughs> All right. Justice League, Justice League Unlimited. Yeah, okay. I, I liked 
Wow, which is which I would not think you were because you're like, oh, I hate anime and I hate really super deformed, and this is totally like a Marvel super deformed. Yeah, those were those were awesome as well. However, the Ultimate Spider-Man, um, they, it's got like it's a cartoon, so it's animated as a cartoon, right? But then when you go anytime it's like you're looking at his inner dialogue, it gets really cartoony, and that it, this is exactly what it made me think of is going inside Peter's head in the Ultimate Spider-Man cartoon because it looks just like that. Because this is this is his mind and his memory, and I also like that it suggests that it may not be a completely accurate representation of what happened. But that is, yeah, that's Marvel super deformed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I mean, I I enjoyed it. I, I think that it. I like that they are purposely making Miles Morales younger. Like when they show him next to other other characters, he's much shorter. He's like slighter of build than they are. So I, I appreciate that they're they're emphasizing his his youth. <laughs> Yeah, he comes to Peter's shoulder. I also, I like when he's fighting Blackheart, and he's not really attacking him with the shield. He's kind of using it to block every once in a while. So it's not like he picks up the shield and is suddenly Captain America good with it, you know? Yeah. And then he, like, he does his, like, Venom Blast or Spider Blast, whatever he calls them, to Blackheart, and Blackheart keeps getting up. Yeah. And then he uh, punches him in the in the nuts, basically, <laughs> to knock him down, which I thought was... Then he throws, like, uh, he starts, like, throwing stuff at him. Like a mailbox, and I think, I don't know if he gets thrown into a a car or if he throws a car at him. I don't know, but it's like, it feels to me like a very desperate fight. Like, he's hit him with everything he's got, and he's still coming, so he's just like throwing stuff at him to try and knock him down. So I liked that, and then I like at the end that all the Avengers kind of meet him for the first time, and they all, they like him and respect him. And then I like that uh, you see that Peter Parker is a little more experienced with him, that he tells him he needs to leave because his suit's all ripped up and people might recognize him. Which is also, I think, uh, maybe a more recent Spider-Man trope where the Spider-Man suit gets ripped, you know? Yeah, uh, I mean, in the movies they do that a lot too because they want to show the actor's face, you know? Miles has been uh, recorded, basically, another Marvel YouTube uh, video that someone has recorded the fight with him, the scene where he's punching Blackheart uh, in the junk, and she like she zooms in on the suit and can tell that he's African-American, and she's very excited about it, which Miles is not very excited about, not just because his identity is being threatened, but because he doesn't want to be like the, the black Spider-Man. He just wants to be Spider-Man, um, and he likes that Peter called him Spider-Man, not you know, Spider-Man Jr. or you know anything else. I wondered about that myself, but then Spider-Man backed him up. Yeah, he was he was Spider Man, so he liked that. And then it's like this person is, you know, I, to me it feels like Miles thinks that he's taking something away from him by doing that. So I thought that was kind of an interesting commentary. They don't really go into it too much, but I, I thought it was interesting to emphasize that he is Spider Man. He's not another alternate version or something. I mean, he is an alternate version, but that he the mantle of the Spider really he's claimed it. I also thought there was a really neat sequence at the end where they're talking about how, and this again reminds me of Peter Parker that, you know, oh, that kid's a menace that he's gonna, you know, supervillains are now gonna start showing up to fight him and old supervillains are gonna get, you know, reactivated and have new new ideas and you show uh, Black Cat doing these, you know, like one-armed push-ups. That reminded me so much of like Cape Fear was the, the kind of tone that I got from that. And then they have this really awesome uh, look of her her face as the last panel. Not the last panel. I really like that close-up of her that I, I think we're definitely going to see Black Cat in this as a, a villain uh, that he's going to have to fight. And then where I was... Oh. Yeah. Well, one, I'd still like to understand how the fuck he's in this universe. 
So if you remember in Secret Wars, the Beyonder was basically tied up in Doctor Doom's basement, and he was, like, starving. So Miles Morales is the only one who stopped and talked to him when they were raiding the place, and he gave him a sandwich. Or Molecule Man? Yeah, Molecule Man, sorry. Yeah, so he gave Molecule Man a sandwich, and Mm -hmm. so Molecule Man... um, threw him into the rebirth of the new universe. Um, I mean, what's the story behind him just uh, living in this universe, and his parents live in this universe? He was in the 1610, and now he's just here. Was he always here? Mm-hmm. How long has he been Spider-Man for? Um, that that sort of stuff, I want to know. Like, is he like Singularity with an awareness of the other time? I don't get that, and there's no backstory on this fucking character. He's just Spider-Man, and oh, Spider-Man accepts me, and they keep doing these like flashbacks and stuff, but when the fuck did he show up? How long has he been Spider-Man for? What is his origin here? Is it the same origin there? That's bad writing. Well, I think, I think you're going to get more of the story in the flashbacks, you know? The sense that I get is that he has always existed in this universe. I would accept that. I just want somebody to actually document what the fuck is going on. I'm satisfied with the pacing. I don't really need a super detailed... I can just accept that he has been in this universe. This is the sense that I get. That he's been in the universe the the entire time and has just developed his powers more recently. So I don't don't need a super detailed explanation. I, I appreciate... I appreciate not having to retell the origin stories all the time. That you can spread it out. I also like that, uh... This panel ends with the most terrifying uh, creature that he has to face, which is his grandmother, who shows up because his grades have been slipping. I, I they didn't quite use his, his full name, which I think would have really been awesome. But his his grandmother's there; she's uh, not happy with him. And then you get an also uh, a nice little like almost like a Mary Jane uh, mirror there, where she's like, "Face it, uh, Tigre, <laughs> you're about to get a kick in the culo." So I, I liked that. I liked that Grandma shows up, she's not happy, and it's terrifying. My favorite part of the, this particular Spider-Man series is, like, I love the little red boxes, which are his inner thoughts. Like, when he's fighting Blackheart, he's just like, the whole, please stay down, please stay down. And he's like, oh, come on! And then the part where he's like, big demon face plant. And he's like, I wish I had a band so I could name it that. And then when he sees Falcon later on, like a few panels later, he's like, nerdgasm. I was like, to me, like, I just... They make me laugh. I'm like, I love this. Reminds me a lot of Miss Marvel. I like that part too. Uh, I ended up giving this one. I gave this four and a half uh, webbings. I gave it four and a half nerdgasms. Nice, Mr. Matt. Uh, I give it four better costumes than mine. I mean, I, I think the book is really good, and it kind of has a, a really good, powerful message. You're not all powerful, Annie. Well, I should be. <laughs> and so should Star Wars. Starfighter number 17 uh, by Marvel Comics, written by the illustrious Kieran Gillen, art by the, okay, Salvador LaRocca. This is our continuing coverage of every fucking thing Star Wars. Star Wars. That's all the reason you need, Star Wars. Yes, yeah, that's pretty much it. This continues-ish kind of that thread that got started with the Darth Vader annual with the war on... And I'm starting to wonder if the planet with the uh, with the ore barons... I'm wondering if this is where they get the metal for the Death Star 2, and that's why this is such a huge deal. You think after one molten planet, he'd stay clear, you know? So, because that's the only reason I can think of to give a fucking shit about this storyline. Because, damn, I don't care about this planet. It's like, I don't understand rationally how people live here. Because the whole planet is a volcano of metal. 
Yeah, it's like Mustafar. Yeah, it's it's like Mustafar. But Mustafar may be a little bit more fun to live on. This place, they have a whole culture around the fucked up of my entire planet is molten metal. <laughs> Seriously. I, well, I think maybe Palby is sending him here on purpose to be an asshole. It's like, now Lord Vader, go to the molten planet and get me some metal. <laughs> I think Vader knows how deadly lava is, so when he goes into the ship and just starts, like, cutting holes in it, he's like, ah, you can burn, too. Yes, yeah, seriously. And it's also kind of another part of the continuing storyline of Vader taking out all the uh, understudies. This is the planet that the twins are going to die on. So, we're basically, the, the storyline that we've got here is he's overseeing a... This um, kind of re- war against a rebellion on the planet, but the the ore barons are basically saying, no, Empire, we're not going to let you kind of come in here and tell us what we're going to do. We're in charge here. We're the ore barons, and, you know, you can get your shit and go. He's put in place a princess after, I think, killing her entire family yeah. and cutting her hand off. Uh, now she has a robotic hand, um, but he basically has her put in place as kind of a, a figurehead to make sure that the, that the ore must flow to get them, you know, the needed metals that they need for their gigantic war machine that is the Empire. And this is uh, basically Vader swinging his lightsaber around. There's uh, an attack on a holy temple, which is another one of these, these ore platforms by one of the other barons in a ship that's been in his family for generations. And it basically comes up out of the lava, starts attacking the, the temple. Vader jumps down there with the twins. And he's like, hey, you guys... Go on the other side and cut a hole in the side of the building, or the hole in the side of the ship. Make sure you cut holes through everywhere getting there. I'll go this way, and I'll do the same thing. And they basically make it so that lava fills the inside of this this submarine, molten metal, whatever, and it sinks uh, and basically shows everybody, look, guys, I'm not fucking around. It's Vader at his badassness. It reminds me a lot of the conversation they have that uh, Lando and Vader have on, like, uh, on uh, Cloud City. Where he's like, that wasn't the deal. Pray I don't alter it further. Like, that's what this reminds me of a lot. Yeah, they're showing you how he alters deals further. Yes. This reminds me, it's kind of like he, he's eliminating all of the understudies that he didn't create. But I feel like he's trying with Afra and with this princess to make his own apprentice. Like, he's, you know, trying them out. Basically. So, Afra kind of feels a little bit like his apprentice, except she doesn't have any Jedi powers. I think he's trying to build his network of power more so than apprentices finally saying, you know what, it's been 20 years, I'm sick of your shit, man. I think the highlight for me was the appearance of the bots again, as always. I was like, oh, more? Oh, they weren't nearly as entertaining this time around. Thanks for sending me to a lava planet where I'm reminded of what you did to me. That's what I was thinking, like, this re- lately they haven't been as interested, that's why I want to tell the bots, like, ooh, yes, maybe good. Oh, I can see it, they were really good weird. right out of the gate. And <laughs> Not quite the since same. Then. Yeah, this one, like, the whole... I mean, I enjoy it because it's Star Wars and it's Darth Vader and he's a badass. But I feel like Vader Down was like the, I think, the high point of this series. And since Vader Down, I don't really feel like Star Wars and Vader have been living up to before. So I'm, I'm still sticking with it and I'm still enjoying it, but I'm not enjoying it as much as I was before Vader Down. Like, I think this is... The story's not as compelling? Uh, I'll give it some mid-range. I'll give it like a three, not Aphra's disintegrated form. I'll give it three and a half sunken ancient submarines with holes in them. I, I think it was a little bit better than average, but not that much better. I will give it uh, three and a half holy temples. All right. I can dig it. So, now we get to the part where Matt talks for a little bit. 
Ah, uh, sit down, kids. It's Matt's Minute! Matt's Minute! Uh, Matt, well, I was trying to actually think of some sort of alliteration we could do. Matt's Minute works. All right. Matt's rants are... Uh, what I wanted to do kind of was bring up the... Uh, so you both saw Deadpool, right? Yep. And I saw Deadpool. And I don't want to talk necessarily about Deadpool and kind of geek out about Deadpool. Um, but I do want to talk about kind of the impact that the movie is, seems to be having. We can't really say necessarily for sure because it's only been, you know, three weeks. But there's been a lot of talk about how... Um, now we can do, quote-unquote, uh, quote now we can do R-rated comic book movies. I think what it more means is now we can do R-rated main-ish stream characters who run around in sp- Um, I first like to say that it's not the first R-rated. Deadpool is getting touted as, like, the first R-rated. But, like, you think, like, The Crow. The Crow is R-rated. There's lots of other things that were comic book movies that were R-rated. Some of the Blade ones, probably. Yeah, I think Blade. Yeah. 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 But, you know, sure, this might have been the first comic book movie that had pegging in it, you know? (laughs) Okay. So, and that's pretty, you know, might be taboo for some more vanilla uh, watchers or readers or what have you. But there's been, you know, note that they're going to be probably doing the Old Man Logan storyline. Uh, in the third Wolverine movie. There's also talk that Sabretooth is going to be in it. I don't know that they're necessarily going to directly do Old Man Wolverine. I think they might do something kind of like that where it's Old Wolverine and he's, you know, in some tuffles and stuff like that. But they're talking about how there's going to be a special edition R-rated Batman versus Superman. I personally am not enthused by the thought of a whole bunch of R-rated superhero movies. I think it'll kind of ruin... The, the industry. Uh, I think Deadpool worked because Deadpool is an R-rated story. I have kind of a, a similar thought that R-ratings are, there are some stories that it's appropriate for. I think it works best when your story is a more like a meta commentary on maybe comic book characters, like which Deadpool does. I don't remember if Watchmen was R or not, but if it wasn't, it should have been. I don't think they should do it for the sake of doing it. I think I, along those lines, I think Deadpool, yes. And if the other movies, if it's in there, it should be featured. If it happens to get to R, then they should be cool with it. But I don't think they should strive for an R, if that makes sense. I think make the movie as dedicated to the source material as possible. Make it accurate. Make it good. If it hits R rating, just be fine with it. If it doesn't, that it's fine. It's really about being honest to the story and the characters than the other way around, I think. But I don't think R-rated is kind of where you want to go necessarily with kind of superhero stories. I think that they need to make sure that they're doing more what Deadpool actually did, which was sticking to the character, going by the source material, but not feeling constrained by it. Um, so doing basically your, your best with really good stuff um, and following what the story you know, what the character actually brings to the table and makes people interested and want to see that story and not necessarily kind of the, oh, we get to cuss and have uh, lewd scenes and stuff in it. Yeah. So for those kind of movies, and I can actually see the Wolverine deserving, like, and I, I, I'm okay with Wolverine, but I don't think you want to have made a movie and then a few, you know, a month 
couple weeks or whatever before it's going to come out, suddenly decide you're going to go for like an R rating. Like that wasn't your vision. So don't, don't do that. Like don't mistake why Deadpool was popular. You know, it, it's like when 3D, like when Avatar came out, everyone loved, you know, it was very popular. It had 3D in it. So then every movie that came out after that had 3D and there was no reason. Yeah. And there was no reason for it to have that. So I, my concern is I'm going to get like an R rated, like power pack movie. And I, I don't want that. <laughs> Yeah, agreed. So it sounds like we're all agreed that R-rated is fine for some stories, but it needs to actually be appropriate and not be done just for the sake of R. All right. Those are the books we read this week. To check out our weekly pull lists and other nerd shenanigans, go to fourcolornerds.com or our Facebook page, Four Color Nerds. Uh, You can follow us on Twitter or on Instagram. Uh, You can also find the podcast on iTunes. On Stitcher. On SoundCloud and on Podcast Addict. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast and be sure to come back next week for another episode. Until then, keep reading, nerds.